Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we are here to discuss Season 2, Episode 17 of Farscape, The Ugly Truth. The Ugly Truth. This episode was directed by Tony Tilsay. Mm-hmm. Mainstay. Yep. And written by Henry Worksman and Gabrielle Stanton, who also wrote My Three Crichtons and Home on the Remains. So basically, they are the... Uh, masters of middle of the road episodes that i have no strong feelings about henry workman sounds fake that sounds like a fake name worksman but yeah worksman it does it sounds like alan smithy alan smithy it sounds like the fake name that you make up yeah this episode okay this episode is middle of the road the second time we watched it through i liked it better than the first time because i caught a lot of stuff that i didn't catch the first time but I think if you... At the end of the day, it's still the middle of a road episode. Yeah, I mean, there's several there's several factors here. Okay, first of all, if you have to kind of watch it multiple times to get something out of it, and it doesn't grab you the first time, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And if you are doing a Rashomon episode, which we'll talk about in a second, but... You love Rashomon. That's not how I remember it. Yeah, no, Rashomon episodes tend to be really good, so... I mean, there's a reason it's a go-to storytelling device for long-running shows. It's it's like they had they had every advantage, and yet... And uh, for our listeners who are unaware, although I'm sure a lot of you are, a Rashomon is referencing the movie by Akira Kurosawa, which was in turn an adaptation of the story The Grove. It's about uh, witnesses to a crime, three different witnesses telling the story and we get three different accounts and so Rashomon style stories in tv are like a staple now where we get the story from several people's points of view usually with humorous results well the fun thing about Rashomon episodes is that it allows you to do little character studies because you get to see how each character thinks the other characters are acting all the time I mean one of my favorite ones is the x-files episode with the vampires with Scully. Comedy Luke Wilson. Yes, Comedy Luke Wilson. But also the when from Scully's point of view, Mulder comes in and is like, Vampires, Scully! There are vampires in Texas! And then from Mulder's point of view, it's, well, I, I think there's a cult exhibiting vampires or, or vampire-like behavior. <laughs> I just, I love that. My favorite's probably the King of the Hill episode where they're volunteer firemen. Okay, so that is... Probably one of the best examples of a Rashomon episode. It It's not... So when I say that X-Files is my favorite, that moment is like my favorite moment in a Rashomon episode. But yeah, the King of the Hill episode where they burn down the fire station. Eh, irony. <laughs> it is probably one of the best done. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's fun because you get to hear what everyone sounds like from Boomhauer's point of view. Yes, I love that. Oh, I forgot that that was part of that episode. Ugh. Okay. Well, instead of <laughs> instead of thinking about other episodes that did it differently, let's let's talk about Farscape. Well, we open with Crace. Crace is back. Crace is back. It's Crace. Hey, it's Crace, everyone. But more importantly, Talon is back. Yes. More importantly, Talon is back, and Crace is uh, usually with the Rashman episodes. You start after the thing has happened. Yeah, it's so weird. This episode starts before the thing has happened. We get a little bit of lead up. And then we don't see the event, and then we get everyone's point of view of it. And it would have been much more Farscape-esque to start 
with everyone imprisoned by the Plakovians and getting their point of view. So it's like, it's subverting the subversion and also subverting how Farscape does things. Mm. So Grace is getting kind of freaked out because Talon has massive, massive guns. Talon's grown a lot since the last they saw him. He's a big, powerful ship with big, powerful guns. But he's still a baby. Talon is essentially a baby with giant cannons. He, he's a he's a baby behind the wheel of a tank, except he is also the tank. It's a baby that's in telepathic control of a tank. Yes. God, that's scary. Uh, speaking of telepathic control, uh, Krace, you'll remember from the last time we saw him, has the little transmitter in his neck that he uses to control Talon. So to show good faith to Aaron when she comes on board, he takes it off and hands it to her just to be like, okay, I'm not going to order Talon to shoot you. Yep, see? We're all good. If he shoots you, that's 100% his decision. Oh, spoilers for the end of this episode? Or foreshadowing. Mm. Foreshadowing for the end of this episode. So, Chris is really weird about Stark because he's going, he's, oh, the gang's all here. It's Aaron, it's Cal Dargo, it's Pau Zan. He's using everyone's full titles and stuff. And, ooh, it's that slave guy. The slave guy. You know, the slave. The, the slave. Bannock, the Bannock slave that was being tortured on Scorpius' ship. The enslaved slave from Slavia. It's like, dude, that's not... It's not how you win friends and influence people. Which is funny because you mentioned he's using everyone's full name, which actually is something that Dale Carnegie identifies in the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People to Get People on Your Side. Huh. I heard... That thing, which I feel like is advice that never works out, where you're supposed to, like, use someone's uh, name a lot. Yeah. Is that a derivative of that? Uh, yeah, no, that's actually what the advice is. Yeah, it's to use their name a lot. Mm. Which I feel like just creeps people out. Yeah, it does. I... Does it, Tina? Is it creepy when someone uses your name a lot, Tina? I don't know, Max. How do you feel about it, Max? What really annoyed me was when I was working in a grocery store. Mm-hmm. And our company deal was that we were supposed to use people's names if we had access to them. So, like, if somebody gave us a credit card, we're supposed to, like, run the credit card and then give it back to them and be like, have a have a grainful day, John Smith. Grainful? I worked at a grocery store called The Granary. <laughs> they, that wasn't really our thing. I just making that up. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but I hated that because, okay, first of all, people's wallet names aren't necessarily the names they go by. So... I, I always felt like, and, and my wallet name is not the name I go by. So I was always like, that's not gonna, what, if somebody was like, hey, Antonina, enjoy your cage-free eggs, I'd be like, I'm sorry, what? And also- Thanks, Forsyth P. Jones. Right? And also, like, creepy. If someone was like, hey, Tina, how's it going? I'd be like, who the hell are you? Discounting our normal, uh. Oh, just kind of people who, like, actually know me or places where you go a lot. Like, okay, not to sound like a total basic bitch, but when I go into the Starbucks I go into every morning on my way to work, and then they're like, hi, Tina, that's okay. But that's because they know me. I had that with the Panera, but it was antagonistic. The Panera by my old by my old workplace back when I used to live in Boston. I'd come in and they'd be like, hey, Max, are you ordering the same thing you order every time you get in here? And I'm like... I don't know if you're being friendly or not, but this feels antagonistic. Oh, that's funny. But also, I'm not changing where I'm going because this is right by my workplace and I like Panera. Well, I'm always super friendly and I always tip, so they're nice to me. 
And I, I, the Starbucks that I go to on my way to work, I love it because it's got two doors, one, one on the north side and one on the south side of the, of the building. And the bus drops me off. I walk through the door on the north side, walk across the counter to the mobile pickup, get my drink, walk out the door to the south side, and then there's my office. So it's just like, it's like it was designed for me. It's designed to be one of those, like, working girl morning montages at the beginning of a movie. Hmm. So, Chris is like, hey, look, Talon's getting super feisty. He wants to blow stuff up all the time, so... I made a deal with some weapon runner guys where I'm going to trade his super powerful weapons for, like, a taser net. Yeah. Something that could probably kill but is less deadly than the AK-47s he currently has. Yeah, we're going to have non-lethal munitions. Just a, just a disruptor net. And this is weird. It's really weird. In this episode, Chiana and Rigel stay on board Moya. So the bulk of this episode is everyone else. The bulk of this episode is John and Zan and Aaron and Dargo and Stark. Mm-hmm. And if, since we're doing the thing where we get the story from everyone's point of view, first of all, I can understand leaving Chiana or Rigel on the ship because it They'd might be kind of similar. It might be repetitive, but I definitely want to see from at least one of their points of view. Like you're leaving the rogues there. That's 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 just a mistake. That's a writing mistake. It's it's a flaw in in your structure of your episode. Hmm. And and I I have no idea why they did it that way either. Like I get they wanted someone on Moya so that there could be a plot happening on Moya. I mean, I guess they kind of had a. They had to have two people there, but... So they could talk to each other. But it didn't have to be Chiana and Rigel. Actually, I don't know. I feel like... Oh, yeah, I guess who else could they have left behind? Because you need two people there to have the conversation they have. Zan needs to be there. Stark needs to be there. Aaron and Dargo and John need... Oh, yeah. I guess... Process of elimination. I mean, you could have... Written the episode differently. Yeah, it's kind of a weirdness of Farscape where because Pilot can't leave the ship, we often have to have somebody stuck on the ship so that there can be a plot involving Pilot. That's another reason I'm not a huge fan of this episode. It feels like stuff that has happened a lot. Like, oh no, Moya's more concerned about Talon than the crew, so she's popping off to other parts of the universe, abandoning other people. I feel like we've had that plot like three or four times. Yeah, we've definitely had that before. Anyway, another ship is approaching. A Plakovian ship. Yes. And Pilot oh. tells us that we should be very afraid of Plakovians. And then Talon freaking blows it up. Yep, Talon whips out his biggest gun and blows it to fucking hell. I do like Chiana and... The puppet acting on Rigel when they see that ship get blown up, they're both like, oh no, this is really bad. And then another Plakovian ship shows up and we see the transport pod leave Talon. Mm-hmm. And Talon just fucking hightails it out of there. Talon and Grace starburst away. They're like... They book it. Yeah. They're like, this is your problem. Not our circus, not our clowns. I mean, it's explicitly Talon Circus, but... <laughs> Talon Circus that he's left clowns everywhere. Talon's like, see you later, losers! Enjoy getting trampled by elephants that I have abused because that's how circuses work. Mm. 
Anyway, the transport pod gets sucked up by the Plakovian ship. It's uh, weirdly organic. Like, these two little arms kind of grab it and then shove it into this little, like, hole. I actually really, yeah, I love the way it's done. It looks rough and um, it, it looks almost kind of raw, the way the ship kind of gets shoved in there. Well, it looks like, have you ever seen a video, or possibly in real life, a crab eating a fish? It does look like that. But yeah, no, like you said, it looks it looks organic and not mechanical, and I love it. Yeah, it, it's, it gives you a real feel for who the Plakovians are, I think. We used to do this thing when I was in, gosh, in, I think fourth grade. We did this thing where we went to the uh, shore and we would catch, we'd catch like little fish and crabs and then we'd put them in an aquarium. Oh, okay. And by the end of the year, you always ended up with one giant crab that had eaten everything else in the tank. It's distressing. Yeah, they had us do it twice, and then they were like, you know what, we're not doing this anymore. They're like, oh, nature is upsetting. Yeah. So, the Moya crew, John, the Moya crew that's not on Moya, John, Zan, Stark, Dargo, all wake up on what John refers to as a giant floating hubcap. Mm-hmm. And Aaron is not there. I actually really like this exchange. Uh, Dargo says, where's Aaron? And John says, good question. And Dargo says, bad answer. <laughs> I love that exchange. That is a good exchange. And I like that it's the two of them as like action hero partners. I'm going to point it out a few places in this episode. I feel like there's some nice John Dargo moments. And as much as you talked about this episode failing to do what Rashomon episodes do well, which is showing how characters see each other. Mm-hmm. I do love the way Dargo imagines John and John imagines Dargo. So we'll talk about that when we get to those interrogations. Yes. So Dargo starts choking Stark because he's like, why did you blow up that Plakovian ship? And Stark's like, because, <laughs> you know, you can't really talk when you're being strangled. This is what, second episode in a row where Darko just starts strangling Stark? Huh. Or was there an episode in between them? No. Oh, there was an episode in between, wasn't there? No, no, there wasn't. Yeah. Last episode he started strangling Stark because Stark didn't tell him soon enough about his kid being alive. That's not a good reason to strangle someone, Dargo. Yeah, I was turning around on Dargo for a while, but God, these episodes have reminded me why he's, why I was so against him in the first place. He's such a D-bag. To be fair, he confronts it at the end of the episode, but that doesn't make you not a D-bag if you were like, oh, I'm being kind of a D-bag. If he stops being a D-bag in the future, then fine. But. Okay, okay. So we got to Aaron's interrogation, and she's in the interrogation chair, which I really love. There's, like, a light shining on her face, but the light is on, like, an arm, like an armature, so that it looks like a little floating eyeball, like a little uh, pilot fish. Mm. And the chair itself is, like, floating above a tank of water. This set is uh, really well thought out for a set that has no walls and probably cost very little. I was about to say, one one of the things I feel like with a Rashomon episode is that you can save money on it because you just, just get to replay scenes over and over again. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about this. I feel like maybe there's kind of minute, there's, there's minute differences when they start replaying the scene over and over again, so they probably had to just reshoot everything okay so the first time through when we watched this you you said that you said you know that it's probably cheaper to shoot a rashomon episode and i pointed out that every every 
sequence every time we see them is different. But then watching it through the second time, thinking about what you said, I realized that the way the shots are framed, it probably was cheaper for them to shoot it this way. It was like in the office where Daryl's like, let's get several of these talking heads out of the way right now. Yeah. Wow. That person sure has gotten him or herself into quite a predicament. Yes. Which speaking of stuff I feel like the show's done before, this really feels like Oh, someone's in an interrogation chair. What a fresh new concept for Farscape. Okay, true, but I don't think we've really seen Erin being interrogated before, and I love it because she's just so... Matter of fact. Yeah, she's just so collected under interrogation, and I know that's her peacekeeper backstory, but she's just like plain matter of fact, telling them, listen, it's no one's fault. It was an accident. You can't yell at me into telling you it was someone's fault. And even as they are yelling at her and getting right up in her face with their hideous visages. Is that right? Visages? Faces! Yes. Which, by the way, we don't see. They're cloaked. They are cloaked until John's interrogation. For no reason. Okay, so tell me if this is way off base. Okay. The deal is that their faces are hideously ugly. They're all like... Which, eh. You know, that's pretty gross. I mean, it was pretty gross, but when, you know, one of them's talking to Aaron and she's like, you look disgusted. We disgust you, don't we? And Aaron's like, ugh. Like, yeah, I feel like they've had grosser stuff. I mean, it's mostly gross because they've got, like, snot smeared all over their faces. Well, the thing is, I appreciate that Aaron, that Claudia Black kind of was reacting in a way that I felt like the really offensive thing was the way they smelled. Hmm. And they are, like, covered in pus. So I, I can see how that would work. Um, but this episode is called The Ugly Truth. And we, the viewers, don't see their face until John starts telling his story. So this might be a stretch, but perhaps that's because his story is the closest to what actually happened. Hmm. So... She tells them that no one was responsible for the other ship getting blown up. Also, one of the people interviewing her sounds distractingly like the, uh, Hail, hail, the queen of putrescence. Love saved her in the fire swamp. I can't do the voice, but... Garbage! The queen of garbage from Princess Bride. Yeah. Like, she sounds like a cartoonish witch. They both sound so cartoonish. Yeah, it really kind of kills... I mean, I don't think this is a super dramatic episode outside of, I guess, the end anyway, but it kind of kills what they're going for here when it sounds like they're being threatened by Dr. Blight and Hoggish Greedly. Yes. (laughs) That's a Captain Planet reference. It actually works with their appearance, too. They look like Captain Planet villains. Yeah. Dr. Blight was played by Meg Ryan. I am aware of that. For those of you who are unaware, Ted Turner was responsible for Captain Planet, so they got a lot of A-list talent. I feel like there was a lot of really kind of high-profile people doing cartoons in the late 90s. Like, um, Gargoyles had essentially the entire cast of Star Trek The Next Generation on it. Yeah. Howie Mandel had a cartoon show. Yeah, although that, I feel like that doesn't count as much because it was his stand-up routine, but as a children's cartoon, it was called, like, Little Howie. Yeah. Bobby's World? Bobby's World! That's what it was. Yeah. Which, ugh. Wow, I had totally forgotten that even existed until you mentioned it. Was Dave Coulier a star? 
No, no, he wasn't. Was Dave Collier in that? No, but he uh, he replaced Lorenzo Music in uh, the Ghostbusters cartoon. Oh, yeah. In yeah. a move that was reviled by literally everyone on the face of the planet and immediately sank the cartoon. Well, we can't get into what happened with the real Ghostbusters cartoon, but it's one of the most hilarious stories of executive meddling. Because the show was doing, like, super well, like, top of its time slot. Uh-huh. But the executives didn't have any influence over it. So they're like, we're bringing in a consulting firm to fix the show. And J. Michael Straczynski worked on it. I'm aware. And he was like, what do you mean fix it? We're literally top of the ratings. They're like, we need to fix the show. And the people who they brought in tanked it. Well, I mean, it's the cancerous capitalist idea that... You need continuous growth. And and I, I mean cancers very literally. Like, if there's not growth every quarter, then it's a failure. And it's like, well, you know, that's unsustainable, right? That that can't be done forever. Especially when you are literally at the top of your time slot. Like, right? you what? can't be getting more attention than they were getting. And <sighs> It's okay. We got several good seasons. So- I mean, I never watched it. I just uh, read about the uh, fallout because I find executive interference destroying things hilarious. Oh, we should watch some old real Ghostbusters. Okay, that's a doable thing. So, back in the episode, Erin is telling the story. We're getting her Rashomon flashback. And I really love, in Erin's version of the flashback, everybody is talking with the same kind of cold, no-nonsense affect that she has. Mm Mm-hmm. And Crace tells them, as he did when we saw, that he wants to swap out Talon's weapons for a dampening net. And I love this. Dargo does not trust him at all. And Dargo's like, what if we just break your neck? And John says, I'd be up for that. Or I'd be up with that. Because... One of the things I do appreciate about this episode is that everyone gets John's slang wrong. (laughs) Yeah, because... Presumably he said, I'd be down with that, but she didn't quite get it right. Yeah. Guess colloquialisms. Yes. So when Crace says that he is going to get the dampening net from the Plakovians, Zan asks Stark who the Plakovians are, because Stark is horrified, and Stark says, you know, they're weapons dealers, they trade in very dangerous weapons, this is very bad. Do not deal with Plakovians. Although still stoic. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. This is bad. The Plakovians deal in dangerous weapons. In fact, the only one who I feel like really speaks more emphatically is Dargo. Yeah, Dargo's the one who kind of gets most up in arms. The fun thing about this episode, which I'm not saying I'm coming around on it, but the thing, a thing I do like about it is that in everyone's version of the story, they are the calm one. It's true. Yeah. So when everyone accuses Crace of just wanting to deal with the Plakovian so he can get more weapons. Mm-hmm. He insists that, no, he is there to keep Talon from going on a murderous rampage. He says, Talon needs my guidance. And Dargo says, you mean your control. And Zan says, you know, we know from dealing with those Skeksis. Remember the episode with the Skeksis? Mm -hmm. She says, we know that he only used Talon in self-defense. We know that he didn't attack first, even though the Skeksis said he did. And then we had that whole episode where I was all like... Don't kill Talon, he's a living thing! And they were like, we don't care, we're gonna kill him. Yep, we have done this before. Yeah. And so, the Plakovians arrive, 
Crace says, oh, hey, you're ahead of schedule. And they're like, um, your ship is super heavily armed. This doesn't seem like good faith. And... I mean, literally the point of... I know, him right? going out there was to trade the weapons for less weapons. Right? But Crace also tells him, I've engaged manual override, so the ship cannot fire. And then all of a sudden, one of the weapons consoles starts beeping, and they're like, oh no, it's it's malfunctioning, what's going on? And the ship fires, Talon fires on the Plakovian ship and destroys it. Wah wah. Yup. Bad news for the Plakovians. Bad news bears. And, and that is what happened according to Aaron. Th- uh-huh. And the Plakovians are not buying it. They're like, oh, the ship just fired by itself? Listen, Aaron. Ships don't kill people. Peacekeepers kill people. So, do people, are people unaware of living ships? I mean, I know some people aren't, but are they? Because Okay, so I passed over this to make a joke. But uh, they did say that... Aaron let them know Talon was a living ship. They're like, so if Talon's a living ship, maybe he did it. And Aaron says, no, he couldn't have. The manual override was turned on. Right. Right. Because her her jam is protecting Talon. Yeah. Yes. She has a very motherly instinct to Talon. Or or more like Antley, because she and Pilot have kind of a connection, like a deep brother-sister connection, hmm. which would make her kind of an aunt to Talon. So, speaking of Moya, well, speaking of Pilot, thereby speaking of Moya, uh, on Moya, Chiana's like, why are we, why, why, why are we starbursting? What's going on there? And Pilot's like, Moya's going after her baby. Her baby murdered a bunch of people and then seemed really upset and starburst out of here. So, Moya's trying to find her. And Chiana's like, Jesus, space Christ. She's like, Talon starburst away. The whole point of starburst is that you can't find someone who has starburst. But we have to keep this going, I guess. This this plot is so weird. Okay, I'm just going to say it. We cut back to Moya three times. The one that we just did. A second one where Chiana's like, we need to go back. And they're like, no, we can't. And then rule of three, the third time, Chiana's like, we need to go back. And Pilot's like, yeah, I agree with you. Let's go back. And they go back. And it has no effect on the plot at all. I don't think the others even knew they were gone. No, they didn't. Anyway, Aaron gets delivered back to the hubcap and she tells them, look, I told them the truth. You all tell them the truth. We'll get through this if we are truthful. Mm. And John, like, does this number where he grabs onto her and he's like. He's like, I missed you so much. And then he whispers in her ear, they're listening to what we're saying right now. Yeah. Which, why would they not be able to hear that, John? Right. Anyway, Aaron says, I told them that there was a malfunction and no one was to blame. And John says, well, that's not much of a story. So we know that Aaron did not 100% believe the story that we just saw. Mm. Anyway, now Zan's going to go. And Aaron's like, oh, shit. Zan's going to tell them everything because of her hippie nonsense. (laughs) Oh, man. Zan's hippie nonsense. I like that once we get an idea of what it's like inside of Zan's head, like, everything in her version of the interrogation 
is super zoomed in. Like, we're really, really focused on people's faces in a way that we weren't in Aaron's story. And it's also these kind of dramatic looks, especially between her and Stark. There's, like, longing looks in their eyes. And I, I didn't realize this until just now, but her makeup in her vision looks amazing. Like, the, the dots that are sometimes pale blue and sometimes are really pretty and opalescent are, like, glowing gold she's she looks great this is this is how she looks in her head she has good self-image i do I, I didn't notice that but it's true and i do appreciate that that zan is more about people's faces than the scene as a whole mm-hmm. like we do get some mid shots but it's way more close-ups of people's faces yeah and also there's there's much more like I don't even know how to describe this, but kind of like dramatic stings of people looking around dramatically. I That's like, how Zan sees the world. I feel like there's a lot of sharp cuts too in Zan's. Yeah, definitely. Also, remember in Aaron's story, Stark said the Plakovians are bloodthirsty gun runners, don't deal with them. In this story, Zan says to Stark. The Plakovians are big believers in truth and justice. We'll be fine. Mm. And it's like, spread it on a little thicker, Zan. Like, <laughs> we know what you're doing here. It feels like she's kind of shifting blame more towards Grace. Uh, well, in a way, we'll, we'll talk about that. In this version, by the way, when Grace says, uh, without my guidance, Talon would be even more aggressive, it's John... And not Darga, who says, you mean control. Mm. And this time, when the Plakovians arrive, previously, in in Aaron's retelling, Krace said, you're ahead of schedule. But in Zan's telling, he says, you're right on schedule. Mm. Everyone else, though, says, you're ahead of schedule, or remembers Krace saying, you're ahead of schedule. I feel like Zan is trying to be, like, super fawning to the Plakovians. So she's like... A Plakovian never arrives late or early, but only exactly when they mean to. Yeah. And, okay, in her version, and this is ridiculous, the weapons start malfunctioning, and they're all like, oh no, the weapons are malfunctioning! This is terrible, what should we do? Everyone, please try to fix the weapons from malfunctioning! And then they fire on the ship, and... She's like, Crace, you have to stay and explain. And Crace is like, I could never explain. Leave so I can starburst away. <laughs> like, really, Zan? Zan, I, I know you were like, she's going to sink us because she's a hippie and she has to tell the truth. But Zan lies more than anyone else. To be fair to Zan, she's really bad at it. I guess I should have said Zan has the worst lies of anyone. <laughs> oh, also, we have the same moment... Before before all of that goes down, we have the same moment, and I because I kind of want to notice this in each version of the story, where he says he's only used talent in self-defense, and she says, oh, that's right. Remember, we saw that with the Holo- The Skeksis are called the Holotians. We saw that with the Holotians. Hmm. Oh, also, also, another thing is that when the ship shows up, she looks at the ship and she's like, wow, that Plakovian ship is so beautiful. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, Zan. Like, this is how you think you're going to save the crew? And then when the ship does... Flattery will get you everywhere. (laughs) Also, when the ship does malfunction, her image of Aaron and John involves them, like, clinging to each other as they run out of the ship. Which... Fair. Fair. That is kind of how they behave. (laughs) 
So it zooms out on with Zan in the interrogation chair, and the people are like, really? Really? That's how it went down. Really? She's like, any questions? And they're like, yes, several! It's like the end of the uh, Like a Boss music video. And they're like, that doesn't, I don't think that's real. I don't think that's what happened. God, I haven't thought about the Like a Boss video in forever. So every day you... You turn into a rocket and die. Yes, that is correct. So Stark says he's going to go in now and Dargo's like, you tell them the truth because I am definitely telegraphing here that I think you are the one at fault, Stark. And Zan's all like, my love, be safe. We boned last episode. Hope that ends well for you. Please tell the Plakovians that you don't hate them. Tell them how hot you think they are. <laughs> anyway, Stark is trying to put all the blame on Krace. Stark is like, it was definitely Krace. Krace is a peacekeeper. Peacekeepers fucking suck. Yep. Krace was talking about how he was going to make a deal with those dirty, filthy savages and how he was going to blow them all to hell when they thought he was just making a simple weapon deal and how he was going to drink their children's blood. Now, when Stark is telling the story, we see John and Aaron kind of foregrounded in like a hero pose. Like, John and Aaron are the mom and dad of this ship, and everyone else is kind of in the background. And Except Grace, who's evil. Except Grace, who's evil. Who gets the evil villain zoom in Dutch angle. And I love What is this, Battlefield Earth? <laughs> yes. And I love this when Grace, in this version of the story, says that... He's only used Talon in self-defense. Zan, in this version of the story, says, You mean like with the Holosians? Stark wasn't there when that happened, so he didn't realize she was being genuine. Or he's he's telling it as though he didn't realize she was being genuine. But I thought that was a really good detail. Stark wasn't there when that happened. He doesn't know that story. Or alternatively, no, I, I have to give up on my theory that Stark was just sitting in a room for the entire... <laughs> No, 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 even if he was, that happened before we met Stark. Yeah. In this version, when the Polovians show up, actually, I said that they were early in every version. In this version, they're neither late nor early. They show up and Krace goes, our deal is canceled and fires on them without warning. <laughs> what? That's, that's as unbelievable as Zan's story. Like, both of those stories are so unbelievable. Yeah, you know, I said that Zan was the worst liar, but cartoonishly sucking up to them was uh, was really obvious and bad but also trying to paint Krace as like a Power Rangers villain also does not work no no or e even, Captain Planet if we're gonna see. yeah we'll, we'll stick with we'll stick in in that one metaphor but yeah even as as over the top as he is he never was that over the top so Chiana is doing her second attempt to argue with Moya like hey we should go back and you know, rescue the people because the people need rescuing. And Mars like, no, but try again because the third time's a charm. So back on the hubcap, Stark comes back and Dargo's like, did you lie or did you tell them that you did it? That you are the one who did it? And he like attacks him. But this is, I, I know you hate how like angry and full of hyper rage Dargo is, but this is important for expositional reasons. He knocks Stark's face mask off, his like, Phantom of the Opera half mask. Mm -hmm. And so that we can see the like star that is literally part of Stark's head. 
And the face mask almost falls off the hubcap, but Zan catches it because Zan will always catch him. Mm. And she puts it back on his head. And we understand that Stark's essence leaks out of his head and he has to work to contain it. That's what the mask. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what the mask does. But he wasn't ready for it to fall off. So he wasn't like, you know, like Scott Summers can close his eyes if somebody rips off his visor. But if he's not ready for it, then a lot of people are going to get lasered. I know, I'm, 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 I'm trolling <laughs> one specific person, and he's, like, <laughs> my best friend, so I shouldn't even be doing that, but whatever. They're not They're lasers. They're not lasers, yeah. Concussive force blast. Yeah. Not heat vision, which sometimes Marvel forgets that, and I'm like... Yeah, in Lego X-Men, you can use Cyclops' eye beams to start a fire. I mean, I guess maybe friction, you can... No, but, no. no. There, there's a really great bit where he's, uh... It's not a good episode. Episode. It's not a good issue. But there's an issue where Scott's trying to awkwardly reconnect with his dad, the space pirate. Uh-huh. And uh, they're they're camping and his dad's like, why don't you use your heat vision to start a fire? And he's like, it's, it's not heat vision, it's concussive force blasts, dad. And Corsair's like, oh, I'm sorry. And Scott's like, yeah, why would you, why wouldn't you not know about the energy beams that come out of my eyes at all time, dad? Yeah, it's not like it's a big deal, Dad. <laughs> Which we're we're talking like that, but the point is basically that Scott's dad is legitimately terrible. He's a bad dad, definitely. He's a bad dad. Because you know what you should do once you escape from the evil alien empire, you know, that kidnapped you? What's that? You should check to see if your kids are okay. God. But no, he's just going to fly around space having sex with a skunk woman. That's an accurate statement. So, back in Farscape, it's Dargo's turn to be interrogated, and Stark's like, oh, yeah, he's definitely going to get me killed with his testimony. Mm-hmm. And Zan's like, yup, yup, that's what's going to happen. And, uh, yeah, Dargo is way, way ready to pin it on Stark. In Dargo's version of the story, he is, like, super calm in a way that Dargo never is. And he is foregrounded in, like, an arms-crossed hero pose while everyone is flanked behind him. Except for Stark, who's like, Peacekeepers are terrible! And Plavokians are terrible! Don't deal with them! They kill races, including mine! And, okay, I love how he sees John because he's like... John's his sidekick. John is his, like... LeFou. Oh, I was gonna say Gold Age Robin. Oh, no, because he's so much more fawning. Dargo's like, we should break Crace's neck. And John's like, yeah, I'm down with that. Let's do it. Yeah, he, he you're right. Yep, he's definitely LeFou to his classic Gaston. Classic Gaston and LeFou. Yeah. Yes, yes, cartoon, the real one. The real one. <laughs> no one's gonna, No one's going to remember any of these live-action movies ten years from now. One can only hope. Anyway, in this version... When Crace says that only his guidance can keep Talon in check, it's again Dargo who says, you mean control. And again, the Plovians arrive ahead of schedule. Hmm. And this time when Zan goes over to look at the ship, the, the Plovian ship, she's not like, oh my god, what a beautiful ship. Instead, she and Dargo both notice that it is totally filled to the brim with super dangerous weapons including novatron gas <gasps> yeah right <laughs> but novatron gas is apparently like it, it's the kind of thing that you would have to be a war criminal to use on people 
It's that gas from that one Halloween episode of The Simpsons that turns you inside out. It it is. It 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 does. It devours you from the inside. They say that. It's a non-comedic version of the That was that was pretty gross even for a Simpsons Halloween episode. Yeah, it was. And Stark is like, "No! I won't let this happen." And he slams on the button to fire a weapon and during the explosion, we actually see someone hit the windshield of Talon. It's only like a split second. It's probably like three frames, but Jesus Christ, special effects, guys. I was going to say Jesus Christ, Darko, because he's telling the story. That means he's going into detail about that. Oh my God, I can't even believe that I didn't connect that, of course, when Dargo tells the story, we see a guy pushed up against the glass. Of course. Okay. Okay. The Plakovians are like, so Stark did it. And Dargo's like, yeah, but I'm not going to cry. You got what you deserved. And they're like, well, then why turn in Stark? And he's like, mm, he did it. I I don't want to die for him. So this is like, this is like the definition of lawful neutral, by the way. Hmm. I'm not going down if I can take so. No, no. I, I, I reproach that entirely the wrong way. There's no good way to work that phrase into this situation. He did it. Take him. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going down for someone else. There we go. Yeah. So Chiana successfully on her third scene. She's like, Moya, you need to go back and save everyone. And Moya's like, oh, I didn't think of it like that. Okay. Blank. Blank. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we also get the moment where we learn that the reason Moya is so desperate to find Talon is because she feels responsible for everyone he kills and he's going around killing a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that we don't give babies giant space guns. That's true. Besides, fire pretty. So back in the trial, uh, Darko has been pooped out back on the... um, The hubcap. Yeah. And now it's John's turn. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so I actually really like the way they shoot this. Because when they bring John down, they start off by not wanting to interrogate him at all because everybody's stories have contradicted each other and john's like yeah that's how that's how witness testimony works yeah did i talk about that episode of law and order you did not okay so there's an episode of law and order svu that has i think one of my not favorite but you know maybe favorite opening scenes just because of the way it sort of breaks down how witness testimony works. Mm-hmm. And it's it's children in this case, but I feel like it kind of applies to everyone. Because Lonor dips into this a few times, but uh, it's, there's a shoot, someone opened fire onto a playground. And they're mm-hmm. trying to, they're interviewing everyone who it's mostly kids, but it's a few teachers about what happened. And we cut between all of the different testimony and it's all radically different. Like, oh, there was one man across the street wearing red. There was, you know, there was two men firing from different directions and they were wearing blue and green. Oh, there were men on the side. There was a man on the sidewalk. There was a man in the yard, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if I can briefly get on my soapbox here, uh, witness, eyewitness testimony is the least reliable kind of testimony. And yet it's the kind of testimony that juries put the most stock in. So, yeah. It may surprise you, Mr. Nahasapima Pedalon. That I'm not wearing a tie at all. Exactly. Although that's the opposite case because, yeah. Yeah, because he he did that. (laughs) Anyway, during John's 
interrogation. They're showing him all of the conflicting things that people have said. And it's really cool because we just see John's face and the faces of the people who are testifying are like appearing on his face. Like, because that's the way the projector is reflecting. Mm -hmm. And as you said, John's like, yeah, that's how witness testimony works. And apparently the... Plakovians don't work like that. They're like, no, we have perfect memory and perfect recall. And when we say the way a thing happened, that's the way it happened. And he's like, well, bully for you. Yeah, like, congratulations. <laughs> the, you know how big the universe is? You know how different all of these species are? Come on. Come on. So. This is when we finally see the Plakovians. Yes, yes. And they're real gross. They're yeah. ugly. Like the ugly truth. Yeah. Oh, that was the thing. Oh, barf. No, boo. Worst episode. Worst episode <laughs> of Farscape. Boo. My word. Really, really. You're going to downgrade Farscape for that, but we're going to be okay with uh, how to make a quilt out of Americans. I'm never letting that go. It's a terrible title for a charmed episode. All, well, all, all charmed episodes are terrible, but this, oh, we find the truth and we're ugly. You're a serious TV show, kind of. Is it? But, I mean, that's... That's an after-school special thing. That's bad. Okay, well, speaking of after-school special stuff, John's like, you don't really care about the truth. You just want someone to blame so that you can kill someone. I really have no investment in helping you with that. So, here's the deal. I'll tell you the whole truth as I remember it. And uh, you can spin on it or whatever. God. And then we see John's version of the story. Oh, okay, wait. You know how John does the thing where he is kind of doing a rude white guy thing where he can never remember the name of any alien race? Mm -hmm. In his version of the story, everyone calls them Placavoids instead of Placovians. Uh, that's cute. So the, his version has elements of everyone's version. They mm -hmm. talk about the gas. Stark does mention that his race was one of the uh, races enslaved by whatever, the, Plakovians. the Plakovians. But he doesn't say it as histrionically as he says it. Or, In Dargo's uh, version, yeah. He's or, just like, they supply weapons that enslave many races, including mine. Yeah, it's very matter of fact. And when John tells the story, I love this. Everyone gets in a hero pose. Like, John sees himself as one in an ensemble of superheroes. Like, Dargo sees himself as the leader. Stark sees himself as a follower with John and Aaron as the leaders. And John sees himself as an Avenger among many. Among, among equals. Dan's in a romance comic. Yeah. That's accurate. That's, that's accurate. So, I do like that he doesn't pull punches that Stark was like, these people are bad. They're mm -hmm. an evil race. They're responsible for this, that, and the other. But he's speaking plainly. Right. He's... He's just laying out the facts. That's what's going on. In this version, when Kreis says, Talon needs my guidance, it's Zan who says you mean control. And let me tell you, this is the first time it's been Zan who said it, and I believe Zan's the one who said it. That's 100% a Zan line. I feel like the other people don't really appreciate how ruthless Zan can be. Mm, that's a good point. Like, I feel like Aaron and Dargo both kind of see her as 
weak. Yeah, they see her as kind of like a peace-loving hippie and not a priestess who fucking killed a guy with sex and will do whatever it takes. Yeah, because her violence is less physical than theirs, so they're like, oh, she's she's a she's a hippie, peaceful flower child because when she kills, she does it with her brain instead of dumb swords or bare hands, in Aaron's case. Yeah, or, or, or guns, you know. <laughs> or guns. Oh, she, she's, she's had her turn at the gun shed. Remember when they were escaping the lab planet they found Stark? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. She spent most of that episode building a bomb because they needed to kill time. <laughs> yeah, she needed something to do, just like Rigel and Chiana did in this episode. Anyway, so in this version of the story, Stark ran over and hit the weapons button. And when we come out of John's story, the Plakovians are like, okay, so Stark did it? And John's like, no, because I had disabled the console before he hit it. Hmm. And he's like, that's why Dargo told you that Stark did it, because he did hit the button. But he- also, like, attempted murder. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Do they give a Nobel Prize for attempted chemistry? Sorry, huge Simpsons reference episode. But- it really is. Anyway, John says, that's what happened. Cross my heart and wish me dead. Put a lobster on my head. No, I'm kidding. He's going to say that later in a different episode in a different context. What he actually says is cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye, which is the way it really goes. Hmm. I'm very excited for the episode where he, with the other, with the, with the uh, truth sensing lobsters, by the way. (laughs) Okay. There's an episode coming up with lobsters that like you put on top of your head. And if you tell a lie, they spear you through the brain. All right, then. (laughs) Anyway, back on the hubcap. Stark is uh, consigning himself to death because he's like, well, basically only one of us pointed fingers at someone who's actually here. So that means they're probably going to kill me. So it's a pretty big bummer for me. Rest in peace, me. I hardly knew me. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, I wonder how they're going to do it. And Aaron's like, they said dispersal. And Stark's like, wait. I can survive dispersal. Yeah, I'm an energy being. Remember when my mask fell off and like half of my energy got out? He's like, I'll just stick all my energy in the mask before they kill me. So. And then Zane's like, do you think that'll really work? And he's like, nah. Maybe? Who knows? Let's see how popular I am. Oh. So... The Plakovians come back and they're like, we decided you're all guilty. We're going to disperse all of you. It's the easiest thing to do. And then Stark makes the noble sacrifice. He he makes a charming-esque sacrifice where he jumps up and offers to die knowing he won't have to. That is a reference to our old Once Upon a Time podcast in which the Charmings, Snow White and Prince Charming, often offered to sacrifice themselves and never actually had to go through with it. Exactly. Anyway, he says, you know, it's me. Do it. I did it. I, I, I did it. And so the Plakovians knock everyone else out other than Stark. And then Stark is like, all right, do it. Takes off his mask. And tosses it to Zan. He, yeah, he sets it gently by Zan's unconscious body. And we see where we had the glowing in his half head before. Now it's just like a black hole. Hmm. Because he has put as much of his energy as he can into the mask. Now Zan needs to plant it, you know, in fertile soil, and then a new Stark will grow. Yeah. 
right? I think that's how it works. But he gets into the disintegration cage and they disintegrate him. He's and like it's very unpleasant. He's like, thank you all for your friendship. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. We stop singing here so we don't have to pay anyone. Also, thank you for saving me from Scorpius's torture dungeon, even though I guess so it didn't work out that your... well for me. Thanks. You bought me a few months of not getting tortured before getting kerploded. Thank you. Awesome. So back on... Chef's kiss. Yeah. Back on Moya, Daga's like, wow, I was super wrong about Stark. And Xana's in the background, like, holding the mask to her chest, like, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Zan is, like, on the floor crying, cradling uh, the mask. And Dargo's like, well, that was a humdinger. Yeah, and John tells them here that he didn't do it, that that Stark didn't do it because John had disabled the console. And Aaron's like, um, did you know when you disabled the console that that would disable manual override and Talon would be able to shoot his cannons? Whoopsie doodles. John's like, I mean, maybe I knew that. Which means, by the way, that John knew 100% that it was Talon who did it and let Stark get disintegrated. That's pretty cold, dude. Yeah. Aaron's not going to never bone him again if he, uh... Let's them kill Stark. If they let, if they, if he let them kill Talon, then she would never bone him ever again. So that's true. And we find out from Pilot, who found out from Moya, that Talon knew that the ship was carrying Novatron gas, mm-hmm. which is one of the forbidden cargoes. Bringing ah, that back, yeah, from like the first episode. And so, so Talon destroyed the ship to protect Moya. Yeah, yeah, because Talon is very protective of his mommy now. Yeah, Talon wanted to keep his mother safe. It's very appropriate that we're releasing this episode on Mother's Day. It is. It, it's a sweet tribute to motherhood. Anyway, Dargo's in his quarters and he's like super sad because he realizes that he's going to find his son because of the information that Stark gave him and that he did nothing but beat up Stark and then pretty much get him killed. Yeah. Am I the D-bag here? Ada? Ada? Oh... Yeah, so that that that's what's going on with Dargo. And then meanwhile, John is like, hey, Aaron, how come you didn't say that Grace was the one who did it? And Aaron's like, because I was protecting Talon. And John's like, yeah, that tracks. And she's like, do you think I got Stark killed? And he's like, eh. and she's like, do you think Stark could still be alive somewhere? And he's like, this because it's like do you think that he's still alive somewhere and john's like well zan thinks so and she's like but what about you and he's like oh no definitely not (laughs) super dead because of you you yeah and then the last person we check in with is zan in her quarters stroking stark's half mask Mm. so i'm willing to bet that uh she gives up her bio essence or something to bring stark back and that's okay or not. Nope, that is not what happens. That's a great guess, though. But no, that's not what happens. But that is how the episode ends. Blah! So, this episode gets better every time you watch it. But also, I don't feel like it's worth watching multiple times. So, meh. That It's a fair assessment. I mean, I, I liked it more every time I watched it. So, I don't know. If you watched it once for this episode and we're like, eh. But you're more interested now that you've heard this episode of our podcast. Maybe maybe watch it through again. Yeah. So next episode is A Clockwork Nabari. Oh, we're getting more of Chiana's uh, 
cat people. Yes, we are. The episode description is Chiana's people, the Nabari, recapture her and mentally cleanse the rest of Moya's crew. Wah, wah. Oh, God, is this an amnesia plot? No, no, it's not an amnesia plot. Oh, thank God. They're the worst. <laughs> like, they're fine if you're there for one episode. I mean, Buffy pulled it off with Tabla Rasa. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, they suck, even if they're one episode. God, to go to another Buffyverse show. Cordelia's amnesia plot in Angel was oh, just... painful. Awful. Well, I mean, let's let's be let's be straight here. Cordelia was done wrong at every turn in Angel. Yeah. They did her dirty. And but, by they, I mean Joss. But there's basically never been a, an elongated amnesia plot that didn't totally suck. Yeah. That's accurate. Like, Tabla Rosso was fine because it was one and done, and it wasn't even for most of the episode. It was for like 20 minutes. Yeah, no, I, I really actually like that one. Yeah, it's a sol- it's a solid episode, but it's also a one and done, and it's funny. Well, also, it uses people's amnesia to explore who they are, like, at their core. When, when everything that they pretend to be is stripped away, here is who they all are, and I like that. Yeah. So, I think that takes us to our segments. Yeah, let's get to our segments. So, our first segment is a distant part of the universe, which is what world building worked for you. I have a feeling that not much is going to work for you in this episode. No, not really. I mean, I liked a lot of the stuff that got established about Talon, but I feel like it was mostly just stuff we already knew. Mm-hmm. So, eh. Well, so for me, my my world building is going to kind of cross over with my strange alien creatures. Was it the crab eating thing way they... Uh... I liked all of the aesthetics of the Pacovians. Like the yeah, the weird way that their ship kind of crab ate the module and the interrogation chair with its again almost organic feeling light armature hanging mm. over people. And yeah, the I mean the hubcap was just a hubcap, but I thought that was a really amazingly done uh production design around who these aliens are. I feel like it Gave you a real feel for what their society would be like. It's kind of weird because I didn't really have anything for the first and second, but I did really like their ship design and the set design. I yeah. Mean, I thought the alien design was... Ugh. Okay, so the truth is I, I can't give the Plakovians strange alien creatures because it was just too gross for me. It was so gross. <laughs> I couldn't take it. Yeah, it was too gross for me too. It's. it's I know that's what they were going for, so... But anything that has like snot smeared across its face, oh. it's like, I can't. Yeah. Nope. No. Same here. So let's jump to just looking for a way home, which is what, if anything, really resonated with you in this episode. Honestly, it was the revelation that Talon fired to protect his mom. That was that was sweet. That was a genuinely sweet moment. And honestly, I've had a lot of issues with Talon and Moya as characters because less so Talon, more Moya. But a lot of the time, they don't feel like characters. Mm-hmm. Despite the whole, you know, oh, going through pilot thing, it it usually does not feel like Moya is a character on the show. Say, the same way that New York is one in Sex and the City. But this episode, I really did feel the connection between the two characters, and it, it felt like kind of a turning point in their relationship that Talon was this emotionally connected to his mom. Yeah, I I can definitely see that. Uh, for me, the most emotional moment, though, was when Stark takes off his mask before he's dispersed and puts it in Zan's hand. Zan is 
unconscious or or at least paralyzed. I actually think they might be conscious but paralyzed. Yeah, because they all seem pretty horrified from seeing what happened to Stark. So yeah, so she's she's paralyzed on the ground. So it's not like she can grip the mask. We've already seen it almost fall off the hubcap once. And who knows if the Plakovians are going to keep their word and the rest of the crew is going to get to go back or not. So the amount of faith that Stark is having, and it's really embodied in his actor, the, the in, in Paul Godard, the amount of faith that he has to have putting that mask in her hand, just hoping that she will be able to hang on to it and keep him safe and allow him to recoalesce is powerful. Yeah. So I think that'll about do it. Yeah, I think that'll about do it for us. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, Kate, and Jen. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or any episode or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook page, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Mm-hmm.